Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Friday, May 8th. We have a very special guest joining us again this week. Joey Mellows, you probably know him on Twitter as Baseball Brit. He is uh, one of the more interesting people in the baseball world right now. And Joey liked the KBO before it was cool to like the KBO. So uh, we wanted to pick his brain about that league. We want to talk about his road trip, very famous road trip he made uh, around America last season. We'll talk a little fantasy with him on this episode as well. Joey, thanks for joining us today. Derek, thanks for having me, mate. So your story is fascinating. As uh, someone born in England who now is passionately following baseball, how did you get there? What, what series of things had to happen for you to become the passionate baseball fan that you are now? It was just a lot of uh, pretty unfortunate things happened. Um, I had my heart broken by a girl when I was uh, working in a boarding school. I was a boarding master straight from university. I uh, used to work six, seven day weeks and have a rugby team on Saturdays and boarding duty Sundays. I had this girlfriend, and Polly, and uh, yeah, she dumped me. So uh, it was pretty, pretty, pretty bad time for me and uh, bumped into a bloke when I was back home in Portsmouth where I'm from at Christmas time at a football game and he used to work for my dad. And he knew me when I was a teenage boy. And he said, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm a teacher. I said, what are you doing? He said, he's a headmaster. He said, do you want to come and work for me? And I was like, sure. I didn't even, even ask him where it was. And then he was like, it's in Seoul in South Korea. And I was like, oh. So yeah, I went and flew over to Seoul um, and worked worked for him for, for four years in, in South Korea. And that's how I discovered baseball was uh, living, in, living in Korea. So you were originally a fan then of the KBO versus Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I didn't want to bore the, bore the listeners. There's a few other bits, but <laughs> I saw my first game in Japan. My uncle's half Japanese, um, you know, so we've got some family links to Japan. I saw my first game in Japan opening week 2015 uh, on a holiday whilst I was you know, still living in Seoul, but flew over there for, a, I think it was like an Easter time holiday, and uh, then came back to Korea and began watching it a lot and uh, spent my summers traveling around Japan following my team there, the Oryx Buffaloes and the MPB. And then, um, you know, because I lived in Seoul for four years, got round to most of the teams in the KBO and used to go and watch my LG Twins in Jamsil several times a week. Um, th- there was always a game in Jamsil because the Bears, the Doosan Bears play there in the same ballpark. So six days a week, sometimes you could go and watch uh, baseball in, uh, in Jamsil. So it was awesome. And then, yeah, the MLB was like my third league I got into just for the English language, really. So then uh, the question is, how did you land on the LG Twins as your team? How do you choose a favorite team when you kind of go in fresh to a new league well I I guess I was quite lucky I had two to choose from because the LG Twins my local team I lived in Hanamdong uh, which is uh, just south of Itaewon which is where the big it's like the big foreign district in in central Seoul so I had the choice of either the Doosan Bears or LG Twins and uh, the LG Twins had a number of players that wore glasses like Harry Potter style glasses <laughs> and I wear glasses most of the time normally and uh, my boss uh, was in was a Doosan Bears fan and uh, we didn't like each other so I was just like it, this is easy like I'm gonna go for the geeky team and it's gonna annoy my boss so I went LG Twins. It's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer of all no-brainers right there. Honestly, I'm so happy I did. Absolutely love the LG Twins. They've got some fantastic looking players as well. Like if the if the listeners have got any time, like do have a look at Park Young Tack. He's like the all time KBO hit leader, and he he just looks. He's got like a, the reason I've got my moustache and my soul patch is because when I got into the KBO in 2015, he that's what he had, and he used to play in right field wearing number 33, and I used to sit in the bleachers 
or the outfield for section 418 I always used to sit in and uh, Park Young Tack was always you know just in front of me and I used to look at him and think he, he's got some confidence to look like that and uh, <laughs> I just thought <laughs> we had this November thing it's a big thing in Australia and it's kind of grown in Europe where men grow their facial hair in November for um, testicular cancer awareness and uh, I, I grew it then in 2015 and I, I loved it I, I can't lie to you everyone else hated it everyone at work <laughs> You know, working with children as well, it's not a good look if, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, hairy face. But uh, I just kept it and uh, I've received abuse for it ever since. And I've been single most of the time since then. But it's all due to Park Young Tack and uh, the LG Twins. That's dedication. That's dedication to a team right there if you're going to change your entire look because of uh, the star player. <laughs> yeah, he's just got so much swag. Like, please do Google him if you can, Park Young Tack, here to the listeners. You know, I think one thing that's really stood out to us here in the States for a while, Joey, is that the KBO has a lot more creative flair, specifically bat flips, which, um, you know, as you've learned over time, are kind of frowned upon in America. And I think that's one of the least fun things about Major League Baseball and probably one of my favorite things as uh, a late adopter of the KBO. But what are some of your other favorite things about the KBO uh, compared to baseball we see in other parts of the world? I mean, the KBO was the you know the league that I saw the most growing up as a, a kind of young baseball fan. So I've got quite a romanticised view of it. Um, for me, you know, the bat flips, I loved it. Um, I like celebration in any in any sport. I like emotion. I like people expressing joy. It's probably the only thing I get triggered about online is uh, you know when you get these tough tough guys kind of saying, oh, you know, next pitch he's going to get drilled or whatever, or next at bat he's going to get one in the in the back. Uh, I think that's super weak. So, yeah, bat flips. I love bat flips. Uh, there's so much more to the KBO, though. I got into bunts whilst I was over there. They used to have a bunt competition in their their all-star kind of competition, you know, when they had their all-star day. Whereas you've got, like, a home run derby or whatever it is, they used to have. I don't think they have any more, but, they, like, where the players used to, like, a skill competition, basically. And there was a section where they kind of dropped down bunts and try and get the bunts into these little targets and stuff. And uh, it was super exciting. It was kind of like curling, if you watch curling <laughs> in the Olympics. Um, really, really fun. Uh, the food's good. Um, they've got lots of the kind of classics that, you know, that you get in the States. Like, uh, like fried chicken's the big thing. Chimac, they call it, which is like lager beer and uh, fried chicken, spicy fried chicken. And it's super cheap. I used to pay 7,001 to get into the outfield. It's about $4.00. Um, you can buy a liter of beer, which is, I think, 35 ounce to translate to the American listeners for, I think that was about $3. And uh, everyone's just having a lovely time. Yeah, that's way different uh, than our experience <laughs> with uh, with professional baseball over here. I love the I love the bunt competition. I hate bunts, you know, in, in real baseball. It's the last thing I want uh, my team to do. But I love the bunt competition. I grew up playing baseball, and it was like one of the few fun things about baseball practice uh, in high school <laughs> was that we would do the we would to practice bunting. We would set up uh, you know a bat a couple of feet off the foul line, and you had to be able to get it down the first and third baseline inside the keep it fair but keep it on the that side of the bat and that was always uh, a lot of fun so i'm gonna have to track down one of these bunt competitions for sure to to give that a watch and like a lot of uh, fans in america i really just haven't had a ton of experience with the kbo right it's on at an impossible time to watch i haven't really had to because i've had major league baseball to watch every single year of my life and right now that's not the case. You obviously have plenty of experience of adopting a new sport and a new league as an adult. So what sort of advice can you give someone like me who is trying to get into this for the first time? 
I just say, just be as open-minded as you can be, if it's possible. Uh, don't go in there necessarily with any preconceived ideas or expectations and try and avoid comparisons, certainly. And uh, just enjoy it for what it is, because it's a different brand of baseball and there's a different energy. And certainly when the fans are there, you'll you'll see that it's 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 quite a different atmosphere. And um, just enjoy it for what it is. It's live baseball and it's a lot of fun. I just keep thinking about a $3 liter of beer at a baseball game. I mean, you have to go to a minor league game to find that here. I mean, I'm sure you probably found that on your on your tour of America uh, last year. But uh, as you go about choosing a favorite team, you did a video on Twitter uh, about a week or so ago now, maybe a little less, but you went through all the teams and gave them major league comps. Uh, what was kind of your thought process behind putting that together? Literally, um, I know I've just said, you know, trying to avoid comparisons and I wish I could have done. I was getting so many DMs from people on Twitter going, hey, you know, where can I buy jerseys? Hey, which team's this? Which team's the Angels? Which team's the Athletics? I was just like, boy, oh boy, I can't reply to all of these. It's going to do my nothing. So I just literally, I think it was on Sunday. It was just before I went to bed. I did it in my bedroom. I didn't put much thought into it. If I'm being honest, I just filmed it in about two minutes, 20 seconds. I went to bed and uh, posted it there just so everyone would stop messaging me. And uh, yeah, I didn't expect so many people to watch it and I probably would have put a bit more thought into it if I'd known. But uh, yeah, I think uh, you know people always want to know that. And I was a bit cheeky. Like I deliberately put the Doosan Bears as the Yankees because as I've already explained to you two, my boss, who I didn't like, supported the Bears. So I wanted to make sure that the Yankee fans, you know, lots of baseball Twitter don't like Yankees fans. I don't have any beef with Yankees fans, but uh, I put them as the Bears deliberately to be a bit cheeky so more people would come to my LG Twins. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out that video for sure, but maybe you can uh, help me out. I am a, a Cubs fan, so uh, if I'm a Cubs fan who wants to find a Cubs-like team with a, maybe a Cubs-like history or something along those lines in the KBO, what direction am I looking in? That's really easy. That's um, Lotte Giants. Uh, they've got one of well, I'd say it's the best ballpark in the KBO. It's called Sajic, and um, they've got an incredible devoted fan base that wear trash bags on their head in the later innings as a kind of instead of like a rally cap where you turn your hat inside out they wear a trash bag on their head super dangerous like when i was in in korea and i was seeing these kids with like plastic bags over their head i was like this isn't going to end well but then after the game they they take them off their heads and they pick up all the all the trash that they've made and everyone does this in korea to be fair you kind of sweep up after yourself so i remember being in in america and i you know i was eating peanuts and i swept them all up with my hand and put them in a cup at the end of the game and like people just looking at me like i was like a complete idiot um you know if not just leaving all my trash on the floor so it's kind of different but you're definitely a lotte giants fan and uh, they've got sung min kim who i know uh, used to write for the athletic yep. as well as fan graphs he's now part of their front office and you know from what i've seen on twitter roughly 75 percent of all of new K- new kbo fans are nc dinos fans because of swole daddy and eric thames uh swole daddy's their mascot by the way and um 25 percent well, at probably the other 20% are Lotte Giants fans, then 5% are kind of divided between all the other teams. So if you want to be kind of a hipster about it, stay away from the NC Dinos and, and Lotte Giants. That'd be the, the first bit of advice, I think, if you want to just be a little bit different with your team selection. Uh, is there anything else about the KBO that really is, is fascinating to you? Because I had heard that before, that fans clean up after themselves, and that is... I, I think it's great. I'm kind of a, a clean, neat freak type person, so the idea of not destroying the area around me at a baseball game is actually a, a positive. For some people, it's extra work, and they don't want to deal with that. But uh, is there anything else we should know about the KBO? Yeah, certainly. There's um, 
you get a lot of away supporters, which is quite different to Major League Baseball. And normally the, the away supporters will sit on the third base side and they'll bring their own cheerleading squad. Uh, usually their cheermaster, who tends to be a man, and then two cheerleaders if they're coming away. And you'll have, you have lots, thousands of fans from, from the away team because they're named after conglomerate companies. So lots of the people that work for that conglomerate company in whatever city will go and support that team when they're in town. So it's, uh, you know, the Kia Tigers, for example, are very well supported on the road because lots of people work for Kia. And um, it leads to a really interesting dynamic from an atmosphere point of view because they're singing and chanting and walk-up songs being sung by both sets of fans throughout the entire game. It's not just when, you know, the home team are at bat. It's, uh, it's both. And it's, it's, it's a lot of noise. And that's why I sat in the outfield. I just wanted to try and work out what was going on. I didn't want to be surrounded by a load of people you know, dancing and banging stuff and making a lot of noise because I just wanted to concentrate on learning about the baseball. But uh, certainly if you're into that, if you're more extroverted than I am, then uh, you go and sit first base side or third base side. You can have an absolutely wild night. How long was it before you felt like you had a, uh, a good handle on what was going on? You knew what you were watching. Uh, I mean, I still don't, <laughs> if I'm being frank. There's always something that I'll see, you know, there'll be something that I'll have to Google or whatever and, you know, question whatever. But uh I'd say it was probably after a couple of years of waking up and watching MLB in the morning whilst I lived in Korea. I used to wake up and they showed all the Dodgers games because of high engine Ryu. Uh, but he was injured, I believe, in 2015 when I began watching religiously. So I, I fell in love with Kershaw and Greinke, uh, in particular Zach Greinke, and began watching and setting my alarm to wake up for all of Greinke's starts because he threw more like the Korean pitchers throw. He was less about you know power arm and more about off-speed stuff and about movement and about craftiness and deception. And, you know, he throws that incredible 69 mile per hour curveball and occasionally the Ephus pitch. And, uh, yeah, I think it was really from watching Dodgers games and Texas Rangers games with Shinsu Chu uh, that I began feeling more confident about what I was then seeing in Japan, which I still traveled to to watch MPB and then in KBO, uh, you know, where I lived. I'm such a sucker for Shinsu Chu. I feel like he's one of the most underappreciated players of uh, of the era that he has played in and the fact that he's still doing it at what like 36 years old now 37 years old and still has had a couple of really strong seasons just made his first all-star team at 35 or 36 uh, I feel like he's just been super underappreciated for the balance of his MLB career he is awesome like and you know speaking fantasy wise he's always kind of left there round about pick 220 um yeah. he's 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 always there so I, I always get him because he's on an unfashionable team and people kind of you know, tend to pick players that they like watching in those later rounds, but I always get Shinsu Chu. He's, uh, you know, a great source of fantasy points. I love that guy. Yeah, he was one of those players that I think had some injury issues earlier in his career, and he sort of carried that injury-prone designation, but unfairly deep into his career. He's still very productive, and I agree, a nice value. Uh, Joey, you famously visited every Major League Baseball stadium last season. You saw a ton of minor league parks as well what inspired you to make that trip and how much work was it to plan a trip like that because logistically it's not as simple as just saying hey i'm gonna fly to america and just show up i mean it seems like there had to be a lot of planning that went into that uh you think so but i kind of like to live in sort of an organized chaos world so it wasn't that organized if i'm being honest uh I created a map which had every single professional baseball team in the state. So not just major league, but all the minor league levels and also all the independent leagues. And um, it was really, I think, Christmas 2018. I kind of got the laptop out and began going through all the schedules 
uh, not just for Major League Baseball, but for minor and independent, like the home opener for the High Point Rockers, for example, in the Atlantic League of Independent Baseball in uh, North Carolina. I really wanted to get there for that. That was pretty much the only the only game that was a must. Like I had to get to High Point Rockers. Um, so I just used it from a geographical point of view. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't driving crazy distances every day and that I was able to kind of spend a day or two with each team. So I just used a map and various schedules and kind of worked my way out from a driving point of view, really. And um, yeah, that was the most fun I've had in my life. It was seven or eight months in the end that I was on the road living a very bizarre lifestyle in terms of diet and sleep and uh, you know what I did on a day-to-day basis, meeting people, staying on sofas, sleeping in my car, um, staying with some very you know wealthy individuals, staying with people on both sides of the political divide that you have in the states it was a lot of fun and i learned a lot about america and about americans as well as baseball which was great and that's what the book i'm currently writing is about really it's more about americans and what did america look like in 2019 we got to get into that in a second but why was the high point rockers a must i love indie ball so i i've been doing this nonsense on twitter for i think two or three years now and in 2018 i actually i actually hit the road and went to 75 games and most of them I think the majority of them were independent leagues. Um, I've always felt, obviously, an outsider in terms of baseball coming to it late when I was 20, 29 years old. Uh, being British, where we don't really have any established interest in baseball, living in Asia in a language, um, you know, culture that was that was foreign to what I grew up in. So I like the fact that independent baseball had a few of those shared, simil- you know, kind of characteristics that I have within within the states where it's kind of you know it's not necessarily what you go to first and people don't know too much about it and it's kind of on the edge of things it's like an outsider so uh, i spent 2018 tweeted about it pretty much every day like i did last year but you know people people weren't following me then so it was uh, it wasn't really picked up on but uh, yeah that's why i wanted to go to high point rockers the atlantic league's a league that i really like it's probably my second favorite independent league after the american association that goes from texas up to winnipeg in canada pretty much like a just a straight line up and, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. In- Indie Ball was really cool. Yeah, I've been trying to make a trip to go see the St. Paul Saints. Uh, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, so that's about a four-hour drive. But the Twin Cities have become one of my kind of favorite places to go in the region in recent years, and I haven't been to a game there yet. I think independent ball is a little bit overlooked for a lot of people out there. Uh, I was just thinking about something you said, too, you know, especially if you experience America on Twitter, we are extremely divided on Twitter, but in your travels and and seeing people from all walks of life, did you find people to be as divided in person as they seem to be online? No, not at all. Um, it was really uplifting, actually, to, to travel and meet people every day, strangers. Um, I never judged them. Um, if they brought up politics... There are a few things, I'll be honest, that at the back of my head, I thought, never bring these up. I think there were four, four topics I was deliberately very cautious about. But if they brought them up, you know, I'd ask them questions about, you know, what their opinions on it and stuff. And if they asked me, then I'd give my own opinions. But uh, no, it was, you know, America seems very divided. Certainly, if you look at it online, like almost anything on Twitter suddenly becomes, you know, blue and red and all this kind of stuff. But uh, in person just lovely people like Americans on the whole very kind and generous and warm and um yeah I haven't, haven't really got a bad thing to say about you <laughs> oh thank you well we will accept that uh, compliment on behalf of our 330 million fellow Americans <laughs> thanks thanks for looking after me last year it's really you know people are so kind to me it's nice 
<laughs> uh, what was your favorite part of the MLB experience going around and doing that for the first time? Uh, favorite part of the MLB experience was, it's going to sound weird because it's not really MLB related, but whenever I got to a big city, I was super excited because we grew up here in Europe watching Hollywood movies, American movies, and these cities are just places that I've only ever seen on the big screen or imagined. So to kind of turn up in places like Los Angeles, I'd never been to Los Angeles. You know, it's it's featured in so many of the movies that I grew up watching. I used to love watching film noir, you know, from the 1950s. And uh, you know, to kind of see Sunset Boulevard and I think it's the Viper Rooms, is it? Like, uh, you know, that kind of rock club in uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, In-N-Out Burger, sort of heard about that. You know, Pulp Fiction, where they talk about all the different hamburgers and things in uh, California, wherever they are. Mm. That was always the best thing about getting to a big MLB city was remembering all the movies I watched and everything I'd heard about it. And then, you know, kind of looking at all, at all the skyscrapers and stuff and all the energy and all the people and the, the size of the ballparks, um, all the razzmatazz you have with MLB, which, uh, yeah, that was always the most exciting part for me, just a starstruck kind of movie fan. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about travel, too, is, is is bringing things to life and seeing how they compare and contrast to how they're depicted on TV or in films. And uh, New York, the first time I ever went to New York, I couldn't believe how much scaffolding there was because you don't see scaffolding on TV shows. And New York's <laughs> constantly under construction, but you wouldn't know that if you only uh, watch TVs and movies. Uh, Joey, as you uh, went to all the parks, did you have one that really kind of rose to the top of your list as your absolute favorite, the the first place you'd go back to if you uh, came back to the States? Yeah, I've got, there's probably a couple. I did a ranking system because I'm such a nerd. I, I kind of had a spreadsheet with 10, was it columns or rows that go across columns or whatever. And uh, the one that came out top was kind of surprising. And I've never published it on Twitter because, you know, as soon as you rank anything, people get super triggered and upset. But uh, yeah, I was surprised that my number one is the Coliseum in Oakland. Um, oh, man. I just, I, I love how grungy it is. I love how grimy it is. I love the, the drums, the noise, the passion of the Hispanic fans in right field. Um, I got really lucky. One of the games I went to, uh, a guy messaged me, uh, Bob and Lupe, his wife, messaged me on Twitter and said, hey, my brother-in-law has got like a sweet ticket and there's a spare. Like, do you want to come with us if you don't mind? This, you know, we hope this isn't weird. So I, I went into like one of the Oakland Athletics boxes, like suites, but it's, it's in the outfield. And uh, as you kind of go in, there's no furniture or anything. It's just like one sofa on its own, which, which looks like it's seen better days. Um, <laughs> and I don't think the elevator was working, so we had to go up the stairs. And then we got in this room and there's beer and you know people brought food in and stuff but yeah you're right out in the outfield and i just loved it i absolutely loved it and i went back the next day and went and sat you know high up in the nosebleeds on my own uh, it was a sunday afternoon game i believe they were playing the cardinals in sort of like a weird interleague kind of game and uh, i was staying with a guy i'd met the previous summer at an independent ballpark where joe dimaggio kind of grew up um Martinez Clippers, I don't think they exist anymore because the the owner got jailed. Um, I mean, that's what I love about Indie Boy. You've got kind of crazy stories like this. And I was sleeping on, on the floor in his his little apartment in central uh, central Oakland uh, with a load of colorful characters, let's say, and smells. So, uh, yeah, uh, Oakland Coliseum is definitely, definitely up there. But from a classic point of view, because I know everyone's thinking, what an idiot. Like, you know, <laughs> that's the worst one. Along with the Rays, that is the worst one. Like, this guy's an idiot. But... Um, 
to give a more classic response, the yeah, Camden Yards, I only went there for one game. It was against the Yankees, so there were a load of away fans there, which was unusual uh, on my trip across the country. I didn't sense uh, as many away fans as I sensed with that Yankees-Orioles game, but uh, that's certainly a beautiful ballpark architecturally. You know, the, the A's fans, I think, make the environment of going to a game in the Coliseum play up. And I have not been in that stadium. I've only read the horror stories from the beat writers and the people who've been there. And I heard about leaking pipes and, you know, bad furniture and different <laughs> things like that. But uh, with Oakland, I, I kind of wonder, is that an environment where the fans are more like they are at a game in Korea? Absolutely. I think that's why it's my favorite one. Um, and I, I did try and be objective. So I had like 10 columns for different things. Like, I think it was like affordability, accessibility from a public transport point of view, uh, food options, and then atmosphere was certainly one of them. And it, I think it scored the highest on like atmosphere and character and stuff like that, like unique factor. Yeah, it just seems like a place where people would be really engaged. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to rephrase the next question. We were going to ask you what your least favorite stadium is, but that, that, that's a rude question to have to <laughs> answer. So if you were going to rebuild or completely remodel a major league stadium which would be at the top of your list i don't mind you know i don't mind taking up the big questions here my <laughs> least favorite one was uh not in terms of the people i met i want to make that clear but uh, just because my eyesight's not great and it was so dingy and dark in there it was the one in phoenix arizona is it called chase yeah chase field chase field yeah it was just a bit odd. It was very dark and uh, dingy and uh, such a contrast from like, it's so hot outside. Um, and then you go inside and I, I could barely see anything. But I saw uh, Merrill Kelly was pitching against Madison Bumgarner. And Merrill Kelly was a guy that I used to watch in, in Korea. So that was exciting that I got to see him. So from a game point of view and from an organizational point of view, they were ever so kind to me. So um, it was just, I just found it hard to see there because my eyesight's not great. I've got a, uh, a bias toward outdoor places, too. And obviously, I mean, you can't play baseball in Phoenix uh, outdoors for an entire summer, even if uh, MLB maybe is going to try to do that uh, this year to uh, skirt the circumstances. But uh, so, you know, you can't really hold that against Phoenix. It's not Phoenix's fault that it is where it is geographically. Uh, but uh, I- I'm with you in terms of I would if I have my druthers, I would rather be outdoors to watch a game uh, than indoors to watch a game. Um, on the other side of this is the minor league portion of uh, of the trip you made uh, across the country. How familiar were you with the minors? You mentioned that independent ball was sort of a gateway for you, but that in-between step, uh, how familiar were you with the, the minors and the affiliate systems and, and all that before you made this trip? I was familiar from a kind of informational point of view. My friend and I in career, Andy, we used to always marvel at the various names, the amusing names that kind of get announced. And we found it incredible how deep the system was in terms of seven levels or whatever uh, below MLB um, compared to certainly basketball and NFL, where there don't seem to be anywhere near that level of depth in terms of minor league system. Um, So I'd, I'd been to a few in 2018. I think my first ever minor league experience was 2017, Reno Aces. I was doing a road trip with my old university buddies and they've got no interest in baseball whatsoever, like most people here, sadly, in England. And I said to them one night in Reno, I was like, hey, lads, let's go down. You know, we can walk there. It's like less than half a mile away. Let's go and watch some baseball. They're like, nah. So I went down there on my own and uh, sat first base side Reno Aces and had a lovely old time. And, you know, one of the best things about the minor leagues 
obviously the stories and the players and the chasing their dreams and the fact they haven't quite made it yet, but also the sort of older guys. I really enjoy uh, hearing from the older guys that have maybe, you know, made it to the MLB and had a cup of coffee and now they're back grinding again or they've never made it and they've been at this level. Um, I love talking to them about their frustrations and about their hopes and dreams still. And particularly with families and children, you know, their lives become so complicated. Um, but Thirsty Thursday, geez, what an absolute great promotion Thirsty Thursday is. <laughs> you get like $2 beers. Um, unbelievable good times at, at the minor league ballpark. And you've got like Dollar Dog Night, Taco Tuesdays. You've got crazy giveaways. It's, uh, you know, get to the minor league baseball when you can, when it's safe to do so and support them because it's a great it's a great way to see America. It seems like happy hour with a baseball game happening. <laughs> that's that's always been my vibe at minor league games for the most part. People are just there having a good time, and it's kind of a coincidence that there's a, a baseball diamond and a game happening around that. But uh, I'm always amused by the different ways that minor league teams try to get people to go check out a game. Uh, let's talk a little fantasy, Joey. Uh, we're actually in the same league of the great fantasy baseball invitational and to be totally honest it feels like that was drafted more than a year ago even though it was actually more like two and a half months ago uh, right. but as you start to thinking about what's going to be almost certainly a shortened major league season you look back at the team that you put together uh, how do you feel about your your effort in that league this year i can't remember what my team is in that in that league uh, <laughs> i remember derek that i was in your league as well last year the t TGFBI, you know, yep. thanks to Justin Mason, what a lovely bloke. He's done a lot of stuff promoting fantasy baseball here in the UK for our our major podcast, The Bat Flips and Nerds. So, you know, thanks to Justin for letting me in because, you know, I'm just a, a random bloke. But um, I can't remember what my team is. I do remember that last year when I was with you, Derek, I was living in China uh, next to Macau in a place called Zhuhai. And all of this was taking place basically when I was asleep. Like every time it was my turn, it was about 11 p.m. And I was waiting to see if the guy in front of me was actually going to make his pick or not. And then I kind of wake up in cold sweats at like two in the morning in like in China thinking, <laughs> oh, boy, like I don't want to let everyone down by being the really slow one. And uh, yeah, it kind of happened again this year. It's uh, it's a real two, three, four week stretch where you're kind of waking up in the middle of the night panicking, thinking, are they waiting for me in the States? Because you, you freeze it at like 1 p.m. or something or no, 1 a.m. you freeze it. But for me, like, you know, it's still rolling when I'm when I'm asleep. So um, I can't remember what my team is, but I'm pretty sure I must have got Zach Greinke in there because I always get Zach Greinke. You Darvish, I'm really high on him this season. Um, the way he ended uh, 2019, the last half of the season, I've always loved you Darvish anyway, uh, just because he throws some off-speed stuff, which I love, and about, you know, six, seven different pitches, whatever it is. Um, I've probably got Shinsu Chu. Eric Thames is at normal. I normally get him super late in the deep leagues because Thamesy. You know, his, his OPS last year was, what, 840, 8, 8.50 OPS, whatever, for the Brewers. So I uh, used to play for the NC Dinos, always get Thamesy. But I can't remember the team. I got you. All right, so you, you had the sixth overall pick. So you're right after me. I had the fifth. So you, you started with Garrett Cole, and you went hitter-hitter after that with Rendon and Jordan Alvarez. And you got three pitchers in rounds four through six. Grinky as your number two starter. Yes, then really, Grinky, yeah. Really nice. You go closer-closer uh, with Hater and Yates in five and six. A uh, bunch of hitters, Eddie Rosario, Yasmani Grandal, Eduardo Escobar, Ahmed Rosario, Malik Smith in the 11th, Will Smith in the 12th. Got a few more pitchers, Jake Odorizzi, uh, Keone Kella, Jose Urquidy. So, yeah, your your first 15 are, are real strong. You got good balance. You got categories covered across the board. You got some positional flexibility sprinkled in there as well. I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. And, you know, one thing you've managed to do is – 
kind of avoided major injuries through the parts of spring training that we saw as well. Yeah, I got Salvi Perez last year and pretty much the day after I got him in this draft with you, Derek, he got injured for the whole season. So I think I picked him up quite early as well last year, my seventh pick. So yeah, really happy that everyone's you know healthy. Um, Garrett Cole at six, I'd forgotten I got Garrett, but you know, you've got to be happy with that. You know, one of the best pitchers in the game. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. That's a weekly league and that's the only weekly league I've ever played in. Normally I'm a kind of daily points guy. So um, I think I used to forget to do my team and I didn't know what FAP was for about three months last year until someone told me at the <laughs> London series. They said, Joey, they said, Joey, I'm in the same TGFBI league as you and you've not spent any of your FAP. I was like, what is FAP? It sounds proper rude. It sounds like, like an insult. FAP off. So someone told me what FAP was and then I began buying a load of like bidding for a load of players every Sunday because I was on the road so much. I used to forget. And, uh, you know, thanks to Justin just for letting me back in this year, to be honest, because yeah, first three months of last last year, I was dreadful. Got to avoid those fat ones. Those are uh, you don't want to get involved in that. I learned that from Larry David. <laughs> don't want to get involved in that at all. How about a more recent uh, draft you did? You did a uh, you did one with the uh, CBS guys, or uh, hosted at least by the CBS guys. Uh, Rotisserie Dynasty Startup. Uh, this was just published. Oh uh, no, this is my worst ever one. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. But I got what I want to ask you. Here's here's an easy question to ease into it. First pick, you had the second overall pick, Trout over Yelich. I'm on board with you there. I personally would take Trout first overall over Acuna and Yelich. So why are you at least a Trout over Yelich guy? This is really easy to explain, and it's embarrassing. It was an auto pick. I was making a cup of tea, <laughs> and Scott said, "Like uh, Scott said, right, 13 minutes, we're going to have a delay. And there was a countdown, 13 minutes. So I was there on time, and then he said, oh, we're still waiting for a few people. And the clock came on 13 minutes, and I didn't have the sound on, and I didn't read the comments. So I was like, brilliant, I can go and make a cup of tea. Went and made a really good cup of tea. Like Let it brew for four or five minutes, perfect cup of tea, perfect color. Came back up, already missed my pick. And I got trout, and I didn't want to tell everyone that I'd been making a cup of tea because I didn't want to look like an idiot in front of everyone. But yeah, that's why I, I went trout over Yelich. Would you have gone Yelich so. if you were there? Uh, who went first? Was it Acuna? Acuna, yeah. Acuna yeah. was gone. I might have been ballsy and gone Soto just for just for the look, oh, but uh, no, yeah. Yeah, probably would have gone Yelich. Uh, I tend to play it safe in those CBS mock drafts I do because I don't want to embarrass, you know, Scott Scotland that does it, Scott White. Um, so I tend to kind of use their own website and make sure that I'm not not too crazy with my with my early picks. But because that was a dynasty league, that's the first dynasty league I've ever done. And I said to Scott White on the emails, I said, listen, if you're desperate, I'm available because I've got nothing else going on in my life. But I will just be like the average, you know, just use me as like a control experiment, just the average guy in the street because I've never done one. So, yeah, that was a dreadful draft. And uh, this is the one we're going through, is it? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go yeah, too far. Yeah, it's fun. It. Yeah, it was fun. I don't mind going through it. I, I had a fun time doing it. <laughs> well, as you uh, started putting it together, it looks like you've got uh, Mike Clevenger and Luis Castillo with your, your second two picks. And I think the the challenging thing when you play in a... a any sort of mock or long-term league especially, it's kind of an exercise in what happens if I do this. If you go with two pitchers in the first three rounds, did you feel like you came away with enough quality bats as you kind of put the rest of the pieces together? I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I remember, because it was a dynasty, I didn't know how, what age, how far ahead I should be planning for. So Clevenger, I think I took him and then found out he's 28 or 29. And I was like, oh boy, that's a bit... He's a bit old to be getting, particularly after he's coming back from injury. So I was disappointed with my Clev pick, um, not because I don't like you know Michael Clevenger, but uh, just cause, you know from an age point of view. And I think Castillo is 27, 
So I was like, ooh, is that the cutoff? I'm not really sure. Trout's 27 or whatever he is. So I was like, I need to get some young guys after that. But then I went way too young. And I'm sure we'll get onto that in a minute. But uh, yeah, I was just having fun with it. And uh, please, you know, a lot of my point picks and my head-to-head stuff I've done with CBS, I've, I've been top, you know, when you get that email afterwards saying how you did. Mm-hmm. I think I've been top of three of them. So this is the worst one we're going through. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So happy to talk about some of my more interesting picks in this in this draft. Well, it is Dynasty, so uh, we can take a look at a couple of those youngsters. Uh, 50th overall, Adley Rutschman. 74th overall, Mike <laughs> Kopech. Uh, you don't need to talk oh, about, boy. you know... Yeah, no, well, you know, the... the the value of these guys is not going to be determined anytime soon. So we can forget about that. What attracted you to, uh, let's start with Rutschman in the first place. Sure, this one's easy. Um, I was, when they did the MLB draft last summer, I was in New York and I was staying with uh, Jake Mintz, who runs Cespedes Barbecue account. Uh, I was sleeping on his sofa in Harlem. And that day, MLB Network wanted me to go into their studio in New Jersey to do some voiceover work for the MLB London series. So they got me a taxi and I went over there and uh, did this voiceover stuff for the, for the London series at their, I think it's, I think it's in Sea Caucus or wherever the, the headquarters mm-hmm. is. And Jake came with me because Jake was doing the change up show for the zone in the evening. And he was like, I'll come in with you because it's a free taxi. And he, in, in the taxi, he was like teasing me about, do you know any players in this draft? And I was like, uh, no. So he was like, right, the only one you need to remember is Adley Rushman. He's going to go number one because he went to the Orioles, which is Jake Mintz's team. Is that right? Yeah. That's yeah, all right. That's right. A oh, few. Yeah. Please correct me if I'm getting anything wrong. And then Bobby Witt Jr. went to my team, the Royals, at number two. And uh, as soon as I did this dynasty draft, I suddenly remembered I know I know two players from this draft, and I'm going to get one of them. So I just thought I get. I know, I know he's a catcher, so you know, getting a catcher at pick fifty, whatever. But I just thought I'm going to get Adley Rutschman for for Jake Mintz. I mean, he's one of those players. If the Orioles were even close to being ready to compete, he's probably major league ready about as fast as a a 2019 pick can be. Like he's he's not going to take long. I, I think we'll see him by uh, this time 2021 if everything's back up and running. So no real problems there. I think the hardest thing about a dynasty league is choosing what type of core you want to build. Like deciding, am I going to try and play and win right away? Am I going to play for a year or two down the road? Or am I playing for three to five years down the road? So you've you've really tested yourself uh, taking on dynasty leagues at this point. Um Let's talk about some other random things for a moment. We do these things called toss-ups. We give you a couple options. You choose the one that you like the best. Um, Ballparks, Wrigley versus Fenway. If you could only go back to one, which one would you choose? I've ranked them the same on my spreadsheet uh, in terms of points. So I'd probably say I'd go to Wrigley just because then I've also got the option of, you know, getting on the Metro or whatever it's called and going down to the south side to see the White Sox. (laughs) Love that. Very, Two ballparks one day. Very good answer. Very, very good. The objectively correct answer right there. <laughs> definitely uh, definitely with you there. I'm sitting about, I don't know, maybe two and a half miles from uh, from Wrigley Field as we are uh, recording this right now. So uh, Both great ballparks yeah. before I get in any trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like You've got to go to both. But uh, if I had to, I'll go to Chicago because you've got two teams there. There you go. Love that answer. Um all right, this one was uh, I, I threw this one in the sheet, and it's kind of a uh, kind of a setup because I, I knew you were I had a feeling we would know where you would go, and you talked about it a little bit. But uh, the M- the minor league promotions that you talked about earlier, the the Thirsty Thursdays and Dollar Tacos and all that fun stuff, versus the really cool MLB promotions, a really neat bobblehead, something like that. If you could only take one, which are you taking? 
This is tough because I was last season, I was in Atlanta when they did their Acuna bobblehead and I was in Washington, D.C. when they did the Soto bobblehead. So I've got both in my bedroom here in England and they're really cool. But uh, just from a travel point of view, it gets quite clunky if you're having to carry a load of stuff around. So I always prefer like the stuff I can eat or drink, which tends to be the minor league promotion. So I'll go for the Dollar Dogs and Thirsty Thursdays and Taco Tuesdays. Bobbleheads and trophies are the two worst things to try and travel with. They just do not pack well. Uh, they're very easy to break. Uh, how about KBO bat flips versus really good MLB bat flips? And examples here would be like Javi Baez or Ronald Acuna. Uh, which do you think are better? I get really excited about MLB bat flips because they're, you know, it's kind of less less common so from that point of view just from a scarcity point of view i'd say i'll probably get more excited when i see an mlb bat flip now it's so unexpected to uh to get them in major league baseball but i think because the kbo flips are so much more epic i almost want to see what's next from from korean players because they go <laughs> oh yeah the top. Like, aesthetically it's kbo every time like the way you know the technique they bring into it but just from shock kind of scarcity value the mlb ones when they do it properly are very memorable yeah, and they uh, lead to uh, hurt feelings over things that should not cause hurt feelings. So I am uh, all in favor of like ripping that Band-Aid off and purging those uh, unwritten rules from the game. So uh, every MLB bad flip is a step toward that being a relic of the past, which we would all certainly welcome. Uh, one more question here for you, Joey. Living in England, uh, and hopefully soon you will have this option, uh, either late-night MLB baseball for you or early-morning kbo baseball which one would you rather do right now i'm craving mlb so i'd probably rather stay up <laughs> late and have you know have the 15 games to choose from in the english you know commentary um i've spent a lot of time living in korea so um you know for me the kbo is very different without fans in the ballpark as well so i think i'd probably go late night mlb at the minute hey, joe you mentioned kind of in passing you're working on a book uh, based on your, your travels last year uh What's the progress on that, and, and when do you think you might have it released? Yeah, it's, um, I've written about 96,000 words of notes, and I'm currently doing the, the, the chapter outlines, like structuring it down so it's in quite a tight kind of format and follows themes throughout the book. Um, I'm trying to write it in a way that even if you're not into baseball, it's, it's more a kind of an outsider's view of America and you know adventure and the road and uncertainty and risk-taking behavior. Um, which just so happens to follow a yeah, kind of yeah, map of ballparks. Um, I'm hoping it will be finished by the end of the year. The proposal I'm hoping will be finished in the next six to eight weeks because I really need uh, to get some money in. So, yeah, as soon as I get paid for that, I'm going to tie one to watch some CPBL. Awesome. Well, we uh, will definitely be sure to share the links as more information becomes available once you uh, have that ready for pre-order down the road and looking oh, forward to uh, to reading that when that happens. Uh, Joey, thanks for taking the time today. This was a blast uh, catching up with you and getting a chance to talk to you. I've interacted with you a little bit on Twitter, I think, over the last couple of years, but this is the first time we've ever spoke. So thanks for jumping on our show today. Thanks ever so much for having me. It's really kind of you, and I've had a lovely time. That is going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast. For Michael Beller and Joey Mellows, I'm Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns next week. Have a great weekend. 